It was Monday night, and I was scrolling through Instagram, and guess what I saw? No one else other than Mr. Tom Holland giving us a little bit of an education into foods. So this is what he said. What would you classify as American food? Let's just talk about that. I immediately think about barbecues, so hamburgers. Okay, hamburger is German from Hamburg. What else would you what else would you consider American food? French fries. So needless to say, it got me thinking, you know, something like this is quite interesting. Tom Holland is quite known for his take on American food versus British food, how good British food is. This is something that allows us to examine our assumptions. So hello, everybody. It's nice to see you again. It's nice to be heard by you. Um, my name is Justin. Welcome to the show. And in today's episode, what I would like to go through is this idea about challenging assumptions. Now, some of you might agree with Tom here and say, American food isn't actually um, American, so to speak. Anything that you can name as American food actually comes from Europe. And that's that's a very strong point. So people like Tom Holland actually you know, mentioned hamburger, French fries. Um, if we talk about pizza, that's an obvious one. Italy, there are so many small things and I actually asked a few of my American friends as well. I'm like, is there anything that you could say that would be something like this? And of course, someone shared meatloaf, but you know, it turns out meatloaf is actually German Scandinavian. Um, you know, with with a, a slight twist, shall we say, that makes it a little bit more American. Like pizza is Italian, okay? So origins in Italy, great, but Italians don't eat it with like pineapple or, or the crazy toppings and things like that. So sure, um, we get this type of this this idea that. Well, when we lean into it, is there really an American cuisine? Is there really an American food? So what I'd like to start with is this concept of assumptions, right? One of the biggest things that can help a person to branch out their mind and therefore their problem-solving capacities, how resilient they are, is by examining the framing of the question. So the question is set up, American food versus British food, or what is American food? And I would put it to you that that, that question actually frames uh, a null answer. And when I say a null answer, what I'm talking about is the concept that, yeah, you, you can't really think of an American food. But if we narrowed it down, and if I said, can you give me a food from the state of Maine? Ah, now we start thinking about, okay, some local specialities. You know, Maine's very famous for lobsters. So there's going to be some lobster stuff. You know, Maine is also very famous for blueberries, right? Or I'm sorry, Americans say blueberries, blueberries versus blueberries. So there is this concept of like, okay, well, if we localize it, now all of a sudden we're starting to see cuisine. And when I start saying things like, well, some states have got a very strong food culture and other states don't have a strong food culture. This raises into question as well countries that have strong food cultures. And now we can start to see the transfer of information as well. What I mean by a transfer of information is this idea, there's a concept called the T-shaped learner, a broad base in many, many, many different topics with a depth on one topic. The concept here is that anything that you know in one area can automatically transfer to intelligence in other area. That being said, what I mean is the more connections you have in your brain, the better. So the more you learn about any particular topic and the more you try and connect it to another particular topic, the better. So the fact that history and geography are taught separately in schools baffles me. 
You know, I love saying that. It baffles me, absolutely baffles me, befuddles me. So if we take a look at it a little bit deeper, you know, you can see the evolution of geography, the lines drawn in the sand and where things come from, from the perspective of the explorer, yes, but then also through time. That becomes quite interesting. And how things form over time as well becomes even more interesting. And we can start to see the influences in the cultures as well. So why is there more Arabic in Spanish than there is, let's say, in French? Well, actually, it turns out that the Moors, um, which are like Moroccan, North African, Arabic uh, cultures, they actually invaded and conquered and ruled over Spain for many years. And so there is this influence of Arabic culture, especially North North African Arabic culture over Spanish culture. And that's why we get like a lot of the, that type of influence as well. It becomes very interesting, actually, when you think about it like this, that there isn't a clear classification, but it's when we take a snapshot, a photograph of time, that's when we can say, oh, the lines are drawn here. Okay, great. Fantastic. But if it's a video reel, it's a very different thing. And we see how it starts, it grows, it shrinks, it, it does all these things. Now, thinking about that and keeping that in mind, let's talk about food cultures. So one of the other things to think about within food cultures is that there are very strong food cultures around the world. If we think about, I would say that the top three, maybe four that are quoted to me and being like the top food cultures of the world, you're going to have Italian culture up there. Perhaps you could even mention French food culture as a big one as well. Japanese food culture is seen as a major one. And then, of course, uh, Thai food culture is another big one. There's always this kind of fight about Chinese food culture because the type of Chinese food that a lot of Westerners are used to isn't actually the type of Chinese food that you'll find in China. It's very different. It's kind of like the Westernized version, you know, with fortune cookies. And, well, actually, fortune cookies are a Western creation. They're actually not a Chinese thing. So taking a look at this, we start to see similar things that pop up from the locales. That is to say that in each location, you would find a particular uh, crop or a particular thing that makes its way into most of the foods as well. So if we look at that and we understand that, okay, Italian food culture is going to be a lot of pasta. And when you dive into the pastas, there are so many different pastas that you can make. And they tend to be really highlighting one or two key ingredients versus um, other cultures that adopted pasta. So for example, like British pasta, they tend to throw in too many ingredients into the pasta. If you've ever had traditional Italian pizza, it usually highlights like just one or two ingredients. Again, maximum three ingredients on that pizza. Whereas you know, you get the, the classic Western pizza. It's going to have like 15 different toppings. So this concept is, is that the original places where the cuisine comes from, they would source their foods, their ingredients from the locale, and they would really milk those ingredients for all they're worth. So if you go to British food culture as well, it's a very similar thing. You've got a couple of vegetables that grow very easily, like, I don't know, carrots, potatoes, uh, peas, you know, things like that, that grow in that kind of weather very successfully. Of course, it wasn't always the case because potatoes actually came from South America and it was seen as like a, you know, a huge saving grace for all the uh, the famine that was going on at the time. Um, and that, of course, 
is quite interesting when you think about that kind of thing. You think about Ireland as well, and the 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 huge famine that went on in Ireland was because they were monocropping potatoes, and this is like three hundred years ago or something like that. It's crazy how much this evolves, but we can see a lot of the British cuisine coming and stemming from those ingredients as well. And then, of course, they had a lot of sheep, so you tended to have more lamb than beef, but you could still find it. And so most of the stuff that you see in British cuisine tends to include those kind of vegetable ingredients as well as, uh, let's say, some type of bread or pie crust, right? So a steak and ale pie, mm, delicious Cornish pasties, things like that. Um, you start to get shepherd's pie as well, which doesn't actually have a pie crust, but you know potatoes, and it has all those ingredients that we're talking about too. So when we're talking about cuisines and we're challenging our assumptions about cuisines, cuisines can be done terribly. I mean, there's a lot of people that I've spoken to over the years who have said, I hate British food. It's so bad. And there is no such thing as British food. It's only fish and chips. And then educating them on this idea of like, actually, there are more traditional foods as well number one, traditional dishes, number one. Number two, there are actually not dishes, but delicacies. So something like uh, tea and, and, and scones, right? Lovely um, oof, lovely scones with uh, high tea. Mm, delicious. Uh, so you can actually find small pieces of like puddings, desserts, you know, anything like that, a standalone and it's not actually part of a dish. It could be a starter or something like that. Or, um, you know, something that's famous from London is eel pie because of the Thames River. And there's actually an island in the Thames. If you Google Maps it, it's so crazy. It's called Eel Pie Island. Literally, Eel Pie Island. It's tiny. I think there's just a pub on there. Um, yep. So the the evolution of the land, the geography, and how that works. Now, Let's bring it back into our discussion about cuisine and about food and all of this knowledge that we're talking about. If you take a look at the map of the U.S. and you look at the population of the U.S., and this is something that I didn't realize until I actually came to the U.S., and I had to share this with people who are making assumptions about the U.S. as well, where I say the size of the U.S. is approximately the landmass of Europe as well. Actually, it's probably bigger. The population of the U.S. is equally just as big, if not bigger. So it's not comparable to, say, U.K. versus U.S. And I think one of the most important things is that type of framing says that all culture in the U.S. is the same. And that's not fair. Compare that to, say, all your EU culture is the same. And of course, it's not fair. It's not. There are similarities, without a doubt, but there are differences. And it's celebrating those differences and connecting through those similarities as well, which is you know part of the human experience, but it's the thing to stay focused on. So if we're asking the question of like, well, England you know, has a small landmass in compared to most of the states. The states are pretty big with their landmass. England's history is a lot longer. So places with a, an older history tend to have a richer food culture as well that has had a chance to develop plus an environment for ingredients to grow, and again, for them to develop. So the places in the U.S. with stronger food culture tend to be the places that also have like an older history as well. So they tend to be all along the East Coast and, um, you know, connected with older colonies. So they would have inherited some of the traits of those things as well. So that's why we see a lot of European foods here instead of like Asian foods, for example. 
you know, whereas in California, you'll find obviously the way it's positioned, it's closer to Asia. You might find more of an influence from those types of uh, places within their foods. And then on top of that, if we localize it, so what is a place that's going to be the same kind of landmass, let's say the same uh, similar population to what the UK was when it was developing this. And so we find things like, well, Louisiana, actually that Cajun food culture, that's a very strong food culture in the US. Um, and if you go further north, like Philadelphia area, you're going to find, again, very similar, richer food cultures as well. So I find that the north, the northeast has a very strong food culture. And then the southeast as well has a very strong food culture in the US. And then apart from that, as soon as you go all along the uh, the Mexican border and any of the states that line that border as well, there's a very strong Mexican influence. And of course, if you know the the history of America, the Mexican-American wars, you know that those states actually used to belong to Mexico, funnily enough. Um, and they have a lot of Spanish names in their titles and things like that. Um, but even today, the relationship that they have with Mexico is that you will experience, like in Southern California, SoCal, there are so many examples of foods that actually come from Mexico that are just super popular there. Right. So examining, re-examining Tom Holland's food culture question, where he says, well, name an American food. That's like saying, well, why don't you just name a European food? And when you frame it like that, the question actually puts you stumped. Like, what is a European food? What's a food that all of Europe has? And you're probably going to think, well, uh, eh, and you're going to probably come up with popular opinions. But if I said to you, can you name a food from the South, from Louisiana, from Georgia, you know, things like that. Now we're narrowing it down and we're asking a better question. So challenging assumptions is usually this fact that if you can't come up with an answer, it's because the assumption, the framing that you're putting this information in is an incorrect frame, or it's just not a frame that suits you. It might be correct, but it's not a frame that you can actually get anything out of. So how do you milk something, an idea for what it's worth, is change the frame. And a way to do that is challenge the assumptions you're making. But how do you know that you're making an assumption? Well, you don't. But the symptom is a lack of an answer. As soon as you're coming up with no answers, it's a very strong point to say, I'm asking the wrong question. Let's ask a question that's framed in a different way that might change the, the way that I understand the question so that I can ask my own question much better. As soon as you start doing this, we start challenging everything. So one of the biggest things is if you find in your life that you're throwing up your hands and saying, I don't know what to do, or you know, I'm a victim, I don't have power, I'm not empowered enough, I, I can't do this, or there's no way to do this. These are all red flagged symptoms of making assumptions. That is, uh, an assumption is not a bad thing, by the way, just in case any, anyone out there was triggered by me saying this. But rather, there's this point of the framing that you've got around the situation is not framing that serves you in any capacity. And we need to find a framing that can serve you much, much better, much deeper, and allow you to feel much more empowered and give you some focus points for you to take action on and actually take control of things and move forward with confidence and clarity. 
So in saying that, yes, there are popular foods across the U.S. that maybe came from other places. And the U.S. put their own twist on it, just the same as England puts its own twist on things too, and Scotland does, and Wales does, and everything. You know, one of the delicacies that if you go up to Scotland is a fried, a deep fried Mars bar. It is delicious. It is terrible. You know, deep frying things is, I would I would say it's probably got its history, you know, in American culture. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, it's not a healthy option anyway. But there are such traditional things that are connected with, um, like I said, the the landscape, the area that you're in. And so the US is one of the only places in the world. When I say places, of course, I, please remember, I'm, I'm talking about like recognized places like a country that has all five terrains, you know, Arctic conditions, desert conditions, et cetera. It's got, it's got all of these things in one landmass. So the, the UK doesn't necessarily have this, which means that the variety of food that the UK can um, claim historically is a lot smaller. Right. So that being said, to answer Tom Holland, we've got all of these things. And to challenge Tom Holland, it's to come and talk about, yes, this is true. The UK has these foods, but why not Italian food then? More so than UK food. You know, why, why is Italian food not better? And let me tell you something. And this is now um, where this these thoughts came from was actually 15 years of teaching English to foreign students in London. And they came to London and they always complained about British food. And my experience with British food, having a British mother, was fantastic. Very positive, of course. You know, there's nothing like the food that you grew up with. But with a South African father as well, it meant that I appreciated a lot of the traditional South African foods as well. And so I got to see sides of the coin. But all these students came from their countries. And if you ask them what's their favorite food, they would either give you, number one, the food that they were raised with, or number two, the famous food cultures in the world, one of the top four, you know, Italian, French, Thai, or, or Japanese. And they would say, this is my favorite food. And 99% of the time, it was Italian food, unfortunately. I say unfortunately, because what that means is that this is the most popular food. And then I would give people, well, name me a British food, just like Tom Holland did in this interview. Name me a British food that you think is terrible. And then they would say fish and chips. And I'm like, well, fish and chips, technically, you know, yeah, you're right. But if it's done correctly, can be delicious. If it's done poorly, just like anything, the quality of it is terrible. The flavors are going to be really bad. It can be a terrible dish. So are you getting in quality versions of these foods? Or are you just going for like the corner shop where, you know, you've seen rats running around on the floors before? Of course, you're not going to get quality there. And the standard of quality, depending on where you go in the world, it's going to be higher. So sushi restaurants, if you go to Japan, the quality is going to be a lot higher. If you go to um, Italy, the standard food quality and food production is a lot higher. There's a lot more. But then in saying that as well, travel around a little bit. For me, I was shocked when I went to Poland to see the quality of Polish food that I'd never experienced before. It was wonderful. I loved it. And the same could be said for almost any country that can surprise you. And you're like, wow, they've got a very strong food culture. I didn't know this because it's not popularized. Because 
other things are just caricature stereotypes. So challenge your assumptions and go and explore more and experience more because you might be surprised. What's the cuisine that comes from this place? And so we come back to exploration, curiosity, asking yourself, let's say once a month, let's try cuisine from a place that we've never tried cuisine from. Ask for recommendations on what is the traditional or popular stuff of that area as well. And if you live anywhere near a major city, you you are going to find places like who can say, what does Nigerian food taste like? Ethiopian food tastes like? So just a few from Africa. One of my most monumental and the strongest experiences that I had with food culture was Brazilian food. And I bet you most people wouldn't be able to name Brazilian food that they know very well. And be like, oh yeah, you know, the Brazilian steakhouse down the road. I'm like, great. What was the name of the cut of meat that you preferred? Or what was the this or what was the that? And when I went to Brazil, it blew my mind. The food culture there blew my mind. And I had a friend of mine whose um, parents, uh, his mom was Brazilian, and she taught him all this food culture stuff. And he married a Brazilian as well. And he loved cooking Brazilian food, educating people in Brazilian food. And I learned so much from him about appreciating food culture as well. Every single country or let's say location that you go to will have its own food culture connected with its history, its geography, and it's a wonderful thing to experience. Taking this as our metaphor, you can literally take this approach with almost any topic, anything that you are trying to do. And it's one of the things that I think I will I will be entertained with, I will explore and get curious with until the day that I die. So thank you, Tom Holland, for giving me this opportunity to go down this rabbit hole. Thank you, Tom Holland, for also reminding me that my curiosity is a beautiful thing and that I will never, never wind up in a situation where I'm stumped because of the ability to reframe the situation and examine my assumptions. If you've enjoyed this episode, please Please be sure to, you know, like, comment, subscribe, you know, all those things that people tell you to do on YouTube. Well, guess what? You can do it on podcasts as well. So when I say like and comment, Spotify's got new features which allow you to actually weigh in on each episode. Um, also, ratings on um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. These are very much appreciated and help get the the strength of the podcast out there. And if you didn't know, I, there is a Substack attached to this in which you will get notifications when new episodes come out, as well as anything else that is not within podcast format. And that also means that you can speak to me directly. So subscribe to the Substack, sign up to the Substack, and you can directly reply to these emails uh, every time that they go out. And you can say, hey, love this episode. Great idea. Hey, what about this? What about that? Great way for us to interact and for me to get some feedback from my listeners. So I love you very much. Thank you so much for paying attention to me for a short space of time, and I will see you in the next one. Ciao for now.